Friday, September 9th, 2022, and after a morning of trials and tribulations, a crazy beginning to the school year, um, and my absent from absence from these airways uh, as the chaos swarmed over me, I would say, <laughs> back here. It is Friday. Yes, September 9th. Thank God it's Friday. It's been quite a week. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coup podcast. This is our Friday politics roundup. Um, and of course, I'm Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help support this show by checking out our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. Uh, and I got to say uh, thank you to all the new subscribers who have been hopping on our YouTube stream. Holy cow. We had, uh, oh my God, I think it was close to 20 new subscribers um, the past few weeks. Um, been fantastic. Uh, looks like our uh, past couple interviews have touched some nerves, which is really good. Uh, that's what we're hoping for. Um, and you know what? we got to do what we can, right, to push back against the right um, in here. Morning, Amy. Um, yes, so while we're at it, friends, let's not let Paul Martino and his, uh, you know, billionaire friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, support local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmask the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check out thericksmithshow.com for the latest follows platforms. And those folks following us on social media saw Rick and I together again. It's been uh, forever since I've seen Rick. And uh, thank you, Rick, once again. Uh, Rick got in touch. Say, hey, I got an extra ticket to go see a Dropkick Murphys in Allentown. You in? I'm like... <laughs> Am I in? Uh, well, technically, it's not exactly what I said at first. At first, I said, well, let me see what the, uh, if I got coverage for the kids and let me see if uh, who's going to be home to make sure that there's no, and we got no meetings. That, you know, that's actually what really happened. But I was like, in my heart, I was like, yes, I'm in. And like, you know, within like hours, I'm like, okay, Rick, let's do it. Um, that's fantastic. Um, it was a fantastic show at the Allentown Fairgrounds. Um, 
Um, and that was uh, just and even better. Uh, it was just great to see Rick. He was out there with his son and his producer. So uh, we had a, we had a good time. You got to also check out season two of the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Uh, they are flooding the streams and it is like indispensable listening. If you want to know the kind of insider backdoor behind the shed kind of information about what is happening in uh, the elections, in the kind of political circles, and uh, in particular in areas of the state that are not necessarily foreground in mainstream reporting. So the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast is absolutely fantastic. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind that podcast rock the house and they know where the bodies are buried. Uh, make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. <laughs> Keel over here live on air. It's great. Oh my God. Attention, all you gamers out there. The Game Inn is a Quaker Town based black family owned gaming store. They're friends of the show and they've got everything from retro N64s to latest consoles, video games for all platforms, uh, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get a discount with every A on the report card since school's back in session. So definitely check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at The Game Inn. That's with two N's. That's at The Game Inn. If you got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout-out goes to, as always, Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Man. That's at Man on Twitter. And look, folks, we want a progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punch's homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement and the movement in the media. Movement in the media. <laughs> Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Go to patreon.com slash rcpress today. So, uh, you know, it's been something. Um, so I'll just I'll start with just this morning, shall I? Uh, as I try to kind of navigate my new tech. So my plan this morning, if those folks who got a notification uh, who are regular followers of the show, my plan this morning was to actually start my broadcast around 915. Um, I actually was going to go for nine, but I was like, you know what? Let me give myself a little bit of buffer. We'll go 915. Um and of course, as soon as I open up my broadcasting software, I you know broadcast with OBS, which is Open Broadcaster Software, um, and I have these plugins from Streamlabs, which is uh, you know a company they work with OBS and have some kind of cool features uh, that go along with the broadcast that help to you know streamline the broadcast and so on. So there's a little update, you know, update OBS. Sure, yeah, okay, you know, got some extra time here. Why not? Let's make sure we got the latest version. It's going great. Update OBS, um, update Streamlabs, um, and I broke my cardinal rule, which is, you know, never update your software right before you need to use it, right? Just wait till afterwards, right? But I was feeling good and lucky, and I did it, and of course it was a disaster, <laughs> right? Um, and I shouldn't say it was a complete disaster, but it just uh, set everything back. So I'm going live now about an hour after I expected. Um, so uh, there you have it. 
And uh, basically the story is, is I sat there and spent that hour trying to figure out uh, what had gone wrong. Um, I kept on getting messages that you cannot stream because this, um, this whatever, check your video drivers because, you know, this is not functioning correctly. I've never had a problem with it before. And then I remembered that I tried to update my computer to Windows 11 not too long ago, right? Got that notification, you know, Windows 11 is here, right? And and it was actually at a time in the summer where I didn't, I had nothing else going on. So I said, you know what, I'll t I know this usually is a pain in the butt. So let me go ahead and do it. And it said my video drivers were out of date. So I went back and tried to kind of like update the drivers and all, it's, everything said it was up to date. So I was like, whatever, I'll just stick with Windows 10 and forget about it. But apparently the same issue happens, uh, just happened with uh, OBS too as well. So Anyways, I'm sitting there looking at all these tutorial vi like videos and I finally find a video that was helpful, right? Because what was on the Windows site was completely not helpful. What was on um, some a lot of the other sites were like, you know, how to update in Windows 10, right? Update the video driver in Windows 10, but they were like from 10 years ago. So they're still using like, you know, out of date, you know, formats and things like this. I finally find it, and um, and then I you know listened to this this one guy, which I wish I I wish I still had his page up. Um, I'll have to give him a shout out when I when I can because it was really helpful. Um, it was one YouTube video, and one of the things that what was helpful for me was that I say, here's how you do the update. This is the easy way, and I did that. Didn't work. Said everything was still up to date. But then he says, you know, a lot of times what happens, and this was the information I needed to hear, a lot of times what happens is that Windows automatically pulls updates, but sometimes they screw up, right? Sometimes they screw up and it doesn't actually go to the right pull down page or they have out of date settings or whatever it might be. So he said, well, this is how you go. And here the links are down below to go to your, your driver's website in order to kind of update it yourself. And I'm like, ah, there you go. So I go to NVIDIA, blah, 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 download the driver myself, install it myself. And here we are. <laughs> and that was uh, what was causing all the problems. So um, just know that I have a uh, I'll have a great tip for you. <laughs> if anybody has that same trouble, let me know. I will shoot you the uh, YouTube video with how to do this. Um, that was extraordinarily helpful. And somebody who actually understood that when they're doing a tutorial video, they're actually doing the tutorial video for actual real people in the world, not kind of other people who have already kind of a whole bunch of assumptions and knowledge about computers or uh, about the way that these uh, drivers work. So Anyways, that is my long and completely tangential introduction to today's show. So there you have it. Um, I'm also the unfortunate thing about this today, too, as well, for starting so late. I'll also keep the show a little bit short. Um, I've got a kind of two appointments I need to go to today. Um, I've got some Board of Election materials to deliver. Um, and I've also got some uh, just got I have to get uh, I, I got a new phone. My my old phone was crapping out this week, um, even more so than it was before. Um, but of course, I went to I had to order it right because it wasn't in um, Best Buy was having this awesome special on Google Pixels. Say what you want. Um, I know people have their favorites, um, but I have the Pixel 3 for, and you know, I still have the Pixel 3, right? It still functions. It's just the microphone went for some reason. Um, but the phone was the, the single hand, single handedly the best phone that I've ever had, right? And I'll, I say this to everybody. So this is not news to anybody who knows me who's talked to me about phones. Um, and so they had a, a big sale on the Pixel 6 at the, um, at uh, Best Buy. So I'm like, okay, I'll get it. But mine wasn't in. 
Um, my son had to get his phone replaced. They had a, a crazy cheap deal for the 6A. So we got him that. And um, I'm telling you all this information that I just don't normally kind of like talk about. But whatever. Here we are. And so anyways, uh, of course, this is the way that the whole semester, beginning of my semester, beginning of the school year has gone for me. Uh, so I have to order. I'm like, look, no problem. I'm in no rush. The phone I have is working, working OK. As long as I have Bluetooth in, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'll wait for it. And so it was, you know, it was ready last Friday, but I, of course I couldn't go last Friday Had all sorts of things going on. Um, the only, the first time I was able to go pick it up was on Wednesday. So I go on Wednesday and of course the time was after work. I'm stopped by on my way home. I go to pick it up and of course they go to activate it. It turns out Verizon just so happens, right? And nobody knows about it. There's no notification on your apps or anything like this. Like, Verizon happens to be updating their systems. That's going to take four to six hours, right? So they can't activate it, right? So now I've got to go back. And the guy who's been uh, incredibly patient with me um, and uh, and uh, just been a joy to work with, actually, um, he's he's going to be there. So I'm going to meet with him, just make sure he gets this thing activated. And then I've got to, um, whatever, do, probably grocery shopping if I can get that in before my kids get home from school. So that's my Friday. Anyways, why am I telling you all this? I have no freaking idea, <laughs> right? Other than uh, that's been my week. Um, last Monday, I was uh, going to do an open kind of like open topic uh, out to Coop Live uh, that was on Labor Day. I thought that would be a, a great day to do it. Completely didn't work out. Um, and I, I somehow forget this every single year. I don't know if other people have this experience, but I forget this every single start of the school year. Right. Is that my kids in, in our school district um, and this is true from a lot of the surrounding school districts, too, as well, I understand. But um, uh, for Labor Day weekend, they have the Friday off and the Monday off. Right. So they have a four day weekend, which is awesome for them. So they have that first like short week, like four days and then they have four days the second week. Um, it gets them kind of acclimated. My daughter's going to middle school for the first time. My son's in eighth grade, right? It was that was so that was kind of a big shift, and you know the, all that kind of stuff. So, but I always forget that, right? I always forget that on that front. So they have the Friday and the Monday, um, and so they're home. And of course, on the Friday, right? Um, it's not just kind of me and my kids, but like, you know, um, my niece is coming over. My son wants to go do this. They want us all this stuff wants to do. I'm like, there's no way I can have all these kids in my house and do the show. And it was okay. It was fine. It's like, yeah, okay, that's all right. Um, we'll just kind of scrap it. And then on Monday came around and there's like a whole bunch of other things happen, but that it happens every single year. And it's because they have that Labor Day weekend off. So I should just like pre-record shows and just allow that to happen. Um, and still kind of not disrupt all my uh podcasting endeavors but anyhow um i'll tell you one more kind of personal story before i kind of uh highlight some things that are going on in the news um the uh um what the hell was i even gonna say i don't even remember what i was just gonna say this is where my brain's been at um well anyways it'll come back to me i, I do have to say though um you know, it, it's been actually a pretty cool start to the year. I'm teaching this class called Activist Writing Media. Um, I've got it's a packed class and uh, got a fantastic group of students um, that just got you know. And we're all just in the second week, and there's just already some really cool discussions going on. Um, uh, students in the class are bringing kind of really cool perspectives and thoughts to the conversation. 
Um, and I hope that continues. Um, and in some ways, um, and again, this is, you know, me, whatever, since I'm spilling my soul for the day, might as well continue. Um, one of the things that um, that was cool about going back this year is, you know, people who've been listening to podcasts for a while know that I have been kind of like, uh, you know, I've been unhappy with my job for quite some time. And um, and it had very little to do with the classroom, right? It had very little to do with the teaching. It had to do with all the stuff around it. And um, slowly, last year, I started to see this kind of like light, if you will, where um, I kind of moved from my relationship with that place and really just kind of started focusing just on my teaching. Right. You know, and just like the rest of the stuff, you know, whatever, um, you know, <laughs> every promise that has been made, uh, to us as faculty, I don't, I don't want to group everybody in there. Cause I'm sure there are some faculty who got all their promises. Um, but you know, everything that that place promised me, um, both, you know, overtly, covertly, things like this, things that we were encouraged to do, you know, they've just, they've, 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 they've wrecked it for me. Right. Um, destroyed programs I was part of, made things unnecessarily confusing, um, you know, downgraded or, or kind of, you know, got rid of a, a bunch of faculty that made made it a situation where students weren't able to get the classes that they need. And all the while under this veneer of this kind of like, you know, sparkling public relations campaign about how great everything is. Right. You know, so it's a bit hard to take. But anyway, so this year. Um, it's taken some time, but I got to the back and I was kind of really, that's how I went into the semester. I went in the semester just kind of with all my ducks in the row and kind of really looking forward to teaching these classes. And they've been awesome, right? They've been really, really awesome so far. And uh, I've been thinking about um, the teaching in different ways. And, uh, you know, instead of thinking about how this class is connected to these programs and stuff, there's really just thinking about what we're doing just in the classroom. And the rest of it is going to have to, you know, settle out on its own, so to speak. Um, so that's been good too as well, but it's been busy um, to say the least. So I hope everybody, all you are doing okay. Um, and uh, now that we are through the Labor Day weekend and, uh, you know, past, we're at the official, you know, launch week of the uh, 2022 political campaigns, uh, things are getting, uh, are heating up. Um, right here in Pennsylvania, um, I should have pulled this up right beforehand, but in Pennsylvania, of course, uh, we've got, uh, you know, like a flood, if you will, a pile, a kind of a mass steaming heap of reasons why Doug Mastriano cannot be the next governor of this state, Commonwealth, right? Doug Mastriano um, is literally a clear and present danger to our democracy, um, to uh, kind of women's full citizenship in this um, commonwealth, um, to um, our public education system. Um, we can just continue to go down, um, go down the lane. Um, and, you know, I, I'll say this to you as well about um, about the Shapiro campaign is that, you know, I mean, look, before I say any of this, I want everybody to be 100% clear, right? If you are listening to what I'm saying right now, right, I am going to say 100% get out and vote for Josh Shapiro, right? Vote. I, I don't care what you need to do, 
right? Um, I don't care what kind of like, you know, like, I don't know, meditation you need to do to kind of separate kind of your act of voting from your kind of personal soul and identity, right? But I'm just saying is that Doug Mastriano is literally like the poster child for the downfall of democracy in this country, right? And he's right here in our freaking Commonwealth, right? He is a Christian nationalist, right? He is a neo-Confederate, and he needs to not be occupying the governor's mansion, okay? So I want to be 100% clear. I am going to vote for Josh Shapiro. I will be 100% clear upon that. But I'll tell you, his campaign makes me nervous, um, and from, uh, you know, I know a lot of Democrats out there who've been, uh, you know, some of the official consulting class Democrats who are, th- you know, is a great idea to kind of support kind of, you know, to give some wind in the sails of Doug Mastriano's campaign because he's so extreme. He couldn't possibly be elected. Not that we've ever faced a situation like that before. <laughs> right. I mean, recent freaking history. Does Donald Trump bring a bread uh, like, you know. Anybody's like, oh, there's no way Donald Trump will get here. And we saw this. It was not just here in Pennsylvania. We've seen this in other states and other races where the Democratic Party or the Democratic consultant class has encouraged folks in the Democratic Party to kind of promote and run ads that kind of like up the uh, visibility and kind of viability of extremist candidates. And now we're finding out that some of these extremist candidates actually have a shot. Right. Ooh, it's not good, right? So I look at I look at what we're seeing here in Pennsylvania, and we're looking at the governor's race, um, and you know, it's it's going to be tight, right? It's going to be tight. I'm trying to see if I can pull up. Uh, I, just, I just had the latest polls, and I was going, and I just uh, uh, let me just hear this real real quick, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, so it's been, it's been tight. Um, now, right now I'm looking at the, uh, let's see, let's go right now. We have, uh, Shapiro is up by 6.9%, uh, percentage points. Um, this is now I'm looking at the numbers from 538. Right. So we're looking at Shapiro at a uh, 47.9% and Mastriano about 41%. Um, the good news is, is that, um, you know, it used to be about a three percentage point um, difference at the beginning of the summer. Right. Um, however, those numbers have, the gap has widened. Right. Um, and particularly after, more some some you know some revelations continue to come out about Mastriano about Mastriano basically you know being in bed with the guy from Gab um, uh, you know that kind of kind of white supremacist Christian nationalist website that uh, allowed the shooter for the Trio Life Synagogue uh, you know to spread his hate there and help organ and organize his shooting and announce his shooting. Right. Um, so Mastriano had a kind of, you know, donated or, you know, given them or paid them, whatever you want to say, five thousand uh, dollars for kind of consultant fees um, for here. So you're having this kind of extremism. And it was also reported that uh, what that meant for Mastriano's campaign is that, yeah, when new people joined Gab, right, furthermore extremists, they were automatically um, somehow following Mastriano's campaign. Right. 
Um, and then other folks that are reporting afterwards, and apparently there was some altering of that, and then it that it turned out that they were encouraged to do Mastriano's campaign, and it took him for a long time to uh, actually publicly kind of break from uh, from Gab, but you know whatever, uh, every, everybody knows what's going on there. So his direct ties there. Now there was also pictures circulating of him kind of like parading around in a Confederate soldier's uh, kind of uniform as part of kind of some Civil War reenactment type thing and kind of defending, uh, you know, uh, Confederate graves in Gettysburg or something along these lines. Um, and frankly, there's been some national reporting that um, continues to focus on Mastriano as this threat. So the stars are aligning at that level, right? In terms of that kind of support. Um, but if you look at the you look at the polling numbers, right? When when Mastriano was first reported about uh, Mastriano's um, association with these white supremacists, and of course, then additional implications of the January sixth uprising. Uh, I'm sorry, um, insurrection. Um, the January sixth insurrection that he was kind of tied in with that to even closer there was being subpoenaed and all this other stuff that his, his poll numbers dropped and you saw a small uptick in Shapiro's numbers. Like, so for example, before some of that news drops, um, uh, Shapiro was about a 48.2%. After that news drops, it kicks up to, um, kicks up to 49.4%. And then as high as 48 point, um, 49.8%. Um, and that's a, it's about as high as it got. Right now, there's some other polling um, that you know kind of had it a little bit differently. Um, there was one poll that came out um, in the beginning of August um, by Public Opinion Strategies um, that uh, had Shapiro at 50%, but um, most of them have him about 47%. If you look at the different uh, the different polling, at least at least the high you know the ones with high numbers, if you look at um, uh, the Trafalgar group, right? They have it as a 49-45 split. If you look at the uh, Franklin and Marshall poll, that has it a 44 to 33 split, which is interesting. That's really an outlier. Um, it shows Mas uh, Shapiro up by 11%, uh, but it's also got, according to 538, a B slash C rating as the polling. Now the Emerson College poll, which came out um, August, uh, what was conducted between the 22nd and the 23rd of August, they had um, Shapiro only up by three percentage points, right? The most recent poll that 538 is looking at uh, is the RABA Research. It's also a B slash C rated poll, uh, has Shapiro up by six, right? So that's where they get that kind of average, uh, that, that average about a 6.9%. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it seems to me that that's still an uncomfortable margin, especially since Shapiro has yet to be showing above 50 percent. Right. In polling, which means there's a lot of people out there who are kind of undecided. Right. So to speak. Right. And undecided voters are rarely when it comes down to it, the research shows very rarely undecided. Right. They lean one way or another. But for whatever reason, uh, they want to kind of hold back on who they think they're going to vote for. Um, and we also know that um, there has been there's been persistent problems in polling. Right. And that polling has been that the problems have been based on it's not accounting for Curtis certain sets of voters. And a lot of those voters happen to be the ones um, that support the more extremist candidates, right? 
Um, we know that Democrats, um, there's a whole bunch of Democrats who are registered Democrats. And in Pennsylvania, Democrats outnumber Republicans in registrations. However, right, um, Democrats have a, a long history of really not coming out in the midterm elections, right? Not coming out um, in a kind of non-presidential election years um, and suppressing, therefore, the turnout, right? Now, Given the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, given the fact that there's been organizing all summer long, given the fact that, um, you know, the Democratic Party and well, let's say the Democratic campaigns in this state um, are are have been active early. Right. Which is unlike what we normally get to, what we see in Pennsylvania. So all that is positive. Right. Um, I, I see signs out um, now for Democratic candidates that outnumber the ones uh, for Republican candidates, which is awesome. Um, on my way to work, Jim Miller, for example, who's running in the uh, PA 145th, right, which uh, used to be part of my district, but that kind of moved up. So it's Quakertown kind of over to the um, over to the uh, east. Um, there were campaign. I saw campaign signs for Jim Miller everywhere. Right. I took a back route to Kutztown and passed through Trumbauersville, Jim Miller campaigns, um, campaign signs uh, right on the main strip. Right. Which usually there used to be only Trump ones. Now you got Jim Miller um, signs that are out there, which is and Shapiro signs that are out there, which is fantastic. Um, you're seeing this all um, all over the place. And that's because the people on the ground leading those campaigns. Right. Who are doing just this freaking incredible, um, you know, kind of bootstraps kind of campaign. Now, rumor has it, right, um, that the part of what, well, I, let me put it this way. One of the things that is turning out to be potentially good in this campaign is that my understanding is, and this is kind of like, you know, through the rumor mill I hear, the statewide Democratic Party is just kind of like a shell right now. Um, that it is not kind of uh, functioning as any kind of organization um, other than as, you know, being in name and a place to mail stuff to, right? Um, that there's been an exodus from the part, you know, the party leadership for a variety of different reasons. And I don't know the specifics of why, so I'm not going to try to speculate on that. Um, but as a result, part of the kind of like the down ballot effects of that or kind of the downstream effects of that have been that um, campaigns, right, have been able to kind of dictate how they're going to run. Right. Because if you have money that's coming into the PA, uh, the PA Democratic Party and there's really they're not doing anything and it doesn't go anywhere, then they're just, just going to have to well find, OK, we got to give it to the campaigns. Right. Which has been good, I think, at least for um, in those areas that we've seen grassroots pushes. Um, it's less good when you're talking about uh, statewide campaigns, when we're talking about uh uh, senatorial campaigns and the, the governor's campaigns, except both Fetterman and Shapiro um, are loaded with cash at this point. Right. Um, and of course, Mehmet Oz is running a, a, a like horrific campaign. Uh, John Fetterman is is is, you know, the troll in chief. He is just owning uh, Mehmet Oz on Twitter. Um, and that wouldn't matter necessarily if it was not for the fact that that's making its way into mainstream news. Right. That that, you know, um, it's being it's an effective use of this. It's not just being, you know, kind of meme for meme type stuff. It's actually effectively um, structuring and framing the um, the discussion around Mehmet Oz, which is great. So all that's uh, kind of a really positive, positive developments. But there's a big question mark about who's going to turn out. Um, and 
you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, this is, this is like the crisis moment. <laughs> this is uh, really is. It's like, again, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm laughing because I'm like, it's a crisis moment again, right? Here we are again with the crisis moment. So anyways, so that's kind of one of the things. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, I just, uh, I, I just really, uh, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. I, I don't want to, I, I, I do not. Well, let's put, let me put it like this way. I do not feel hopeful at this point. Um, I do not. I am not saying that I'm feeling like cynical. I'm not saying that I, I'm, I'm not arguing here that I think that, uh, you know, that, that, that Oz or Mastriano are, are I really think they're going to win. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I feel uncomfortable, right, with uh, any kind of complacency given the you know the history of what happened during the the the, the Trump and Hillary Clinton election, um, and what that regime basically wrought on people in this country, right, and the world for that matter. Um, the fact we have a criminal um, that was a president that, you know, people follow like a cult leader is is a problem, obviously. And we have a cult leader who is running for the governor's mansion. Right? So there's that. Going back to the point that I was that I started all this with, with the other things that make me nervous about the Shapiro campaign is that um, they're exhibiting behaviors that are consistent with this kind of. 1990s Democratic Party consultant class way of thinking, right? Um, they have it in their brains, it seems to me, that this assumption that Pennsylvania voters or American voters, whoever you want to say, they have this assumption that they're really, they really, it, it's dominated by conservatives, right? And so in order to win any kind of statewide election, they have to kind of like, you know, like, you know, whatever, kiss the ring of the conservatives somehow, right? They have to cozy up. They have to kind of, you know, um, whatever, prostrate themselves before the altar of conservatism um, um, to win votes, right? And I think that's a misreading of the public. I think it's a misreading of how we need to conduct politics in this in this state, this commonwealth. And I think that um, it's dangerous, right? Because it works from the same playbook that, think, that thinks that, hey, Mastriano is too extreme that he can't possibly get elected. And the, the, the key thing that stood out for me was this, is when Josh Shapiro decided to make it a kind of a known thing in the media that he disagreed with Governor Tom Wolf's masking protocols for Pennsylvania, particular schools, right? That his campaign and him went out of their way to make sure that everybody knew that he was maybe not an anti-masker, right? But he was certainly not a one of those, you know, liberal, like, mask Nazis. He was not a mask, right? Like, he was not, like, an authoritarian masker, right? And says that he disagreed with Governor Wolf doing this. Now, I'm looking at, you're talking about a once in a, a, like a century pandemic. You're talking about the 
most basic protocols, right? The least that you can do to keep people safe. And Shapiro is say, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if we should do that. I'm much more into the individual responsibility kind of thing, which is total dog whistle to the anti-maskers. And the people in his campaign know that. So will he peel off some of the extremist anti-maskers to vote for him? Maybe. But the cost of that is turning off Democratic Party base voters. Right? People like me, people like all these parents who have been trying to protect their kids and going to school meetings and having to kind of deal with the assault that these right-wing nutjobs are bringing to the school boards, school board meetings, wanting to try to protect their kids to make sure the kids actually were going to, you know, there was the protocols are to keep them safe and finding that, you know, the school boards being overturned and overrun by extremists and say, no, we're not going to mask right here in the Penridge school district. Even putting pressure upon Governor Wolf to kind of like, like, like pull back on the protocols, right? Same crap that's going on in our country as a whole, right? All those parents who spent really a significant portion of their lives for the past few years trying to keep their kids safe. Now you got the Democratic Party um, candidate for governor coming out and say, yeah, you know, I was kind of with the anti-maskers. Did he say that exactly? No, he did not. I know he did not say that particularly. But that is how it is going to be heard or has been heard. How do I know that? Oh, guess what? I talked to people who were really upset about that. Really upset. And these were not radicals who were saying this. These were parents who got mobilized because of what was happening in the school board stuff. These are people who have Shapiro signs on their lawn and we're considering taking them down. I'm like, no, 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 no. But just, just as a visceral response. So what happens to that next tier down below them? Right? The, those are people who are engaged at this point, who know at this point that they're going to vote for Josh Shapiro, even if it means that they're, he's, you know they end up really not liking him because they know what the alternative is. But down below that, like that that circle of support, right? People who might be neutral, people might be more like kind of passive allies, right? In the in the strike, you know, they're, they'll, they'll they'll be there. They're kind of voting stuff like that. They might think like, oh, again, you know what they're going to hear? Oh, guess look, they're you know, here we go. Neither one of them are good. And in this country, it is so easy to get people to kind of accept like defeatism and fatalism, and kind of like there is no alternative, or you know, they're all the same. And just to stay home, I mean, that's what, you know, we, we spent a long time in this country kind of like fostering that kind of culture when it comes to elections, you know, keeping people cynical. That was a cynical move on Josh Shapiro's campaign's part and a cynical move that could potentially impact um, kind of what kind of turnout he's going to say. That's the kind of thing that makes me nervous. Mastriano, this should be a slam dunk kind of election, but you have to take a position that is provides a clear distinction between the fascists and the Democratic Party candidate. You don't need to kind of step to the right. 
No, you need to hop to the left, <laughs> right? Or not even the left for Christ's sake. I mean, you can just stay in the freaking center. And by being in the center does not mean that you're going to, you know, you be wishy-washy and you kind of like try to appease everybody. But you can just walk a middle road, right? And say, and look, you say, instead of coming out and saying like, I disagree with Tom Wolf on his, his masking protocols, what you do is you say, like, you know, someone asked, well, how did you feel about the masking protocols? Right? I said, look, we were in a once in a once in a lifetime pandemic, right? And did we do everything perfectly? No, and no one ever did. And no one anywhere did. What we try to do is we try to keep everybody safe. And look, reasonable people are going to disagree about kind of what, what degree is. But my job as attorney general was to ensure that we kind of had a consistent policy and that was kind of rolled out across the state and we had to do it in a context when you had these extremists occupying school boards pushing back against everything that we did that's what you say tom wolf was already a centrist governor <laughs> and you're going to run to his right on this issue are you kidding me so whatever I mean, you know, look, this is, you know, this has been a, a long time complaint that I've had. This is one of the reasons that, you know, saw, you know, the things that that campaign has been doing is just, you know, God, it's like flirting with disaster again and again and again. And to be clear, if you just tuned in now, yes, I'm going to vote for Josh Shapiro. Yes. And I want you to vote for Josh Shapiro. Why do I want you to vote for him? Because we got a fascist, Christian nationalist fascist who's running for governor in this state. That's why. That's the alternative. And if you don't vote, right, because whatever, you personally can't bring yourself to vote for somebody, like you're so special that your entire identity is going to come crumbling down because he doesn't kind of perfectly fit your morals and values, then that is a vote for the fascist. Sorry. That's what happens in this kind of context, in this kind of country around voting, when we have only two parties. Do I like it? Hell no. If you've listened to this podcast at all over the past several years or several months, you will know pretty clearly my problems with the Democratic Party and their limits and how they disgust me at times, particularly with the leadership. But you will also hear me say, look, we have people, we have a wedge right now of progressives, right? And high quality Democrats who might not kind of like, you know, whatever, meet my whatever litmus test for kind of pro like progressive slash left candidates in the Democratic Party. Right. But are highly, uh, highly qualified, super competent people who are going to fight for something. I want those people there. At the same time, I want a clean house on the Democratic Party leadership in the state and the country. So that's where I'm at. <sighs> Sorry. Um, one more thing, like I said, I've got to I've got to get out of here soon. So um, I, one more thing I did want to bring up today, because this has been weighing heavily on me all week. Um, and um, and I this is the other reason why I, I just we have to win these elections in the fall. We have to get Fetterman election uh, elected to kind of flip that seat, to kind of turn that turn that blue from red. Uh, we've got to get um, Gwendolyn Stoltz elected in the 143rd. We got to get Jim Miller elected in the uh, the 145th. We got to get Mark Pinsley 
elected in the Pennsylvania Senatorial Dis District 10. This is in my area, right? <laughs> you know, you know, and everyone who's running is like who's like the Democrat progressive in your area. Right. Ideally, you've got some uh, good candidates uh, that are out there that they're going to be in there, too, as well. The battle. I mean, you heard you heard the discussions I had with um, uh, with folks on this on on this podcast over the past um, uh, kind of several weeks. I mean, we had Alyssa on the show, Alyssa Bowman on the show and uh, from True North Research uh, a couple weeks back. And, you know, and she was saying, look, the, the fight is going to be. Um, yeah, the fight is going to be um, in the states. Right. So as many of uh, like state house seats that we can get flipped um, to Democrat to make that minor, make the major the Republican majority, uh, ideally a minority, but the very least a, a small majority. We got to do that. Right. We got to kind of do the same thing, in the state Senate and, and sure as hell we know that we got to keep the Senate at the at the federal level. The Democrats need to keep the Senate at the federal level. Right. And maintain the House. If we have any hope now, here's the one big thing, the one big uh, issue that has been sticking in my brain about if nothing else, this is why. So you may have seen reporting this week about the the so-called uh, doomsday glacier um, in uh kind of western basically it's the the west antarctic um ice sheet um i'm completely drawing a blank in terms of the name of the glacier now it starts with a t i believe um but basically as a result of some uh some new studies that they've done that they look like the potential for a collapse is uh sooner rather than later right and they've been watching this western um kind of uh ice sheet in Western, or this, the ice sheet in Western Antarctica, um, especially closely, because um, the way that this that the glacier is held back, and what is happening underneath the glacier. So, I saw this really great um, um, kind of discussion of this. Um, so it's basically like you have you think about it like this: you've got um, the land <coughs> of Antarctica. Right. And glaciers flow, obviously, from the land to the sea. Right. Um, well, this one part in the West basically throws to the sea, but then there's some water. And then there's kind of like think about it like an island offshore, like a big kind of landmass offshore. Right. And so or, I think it's more what wraps on like a peninsula. So what happens is that so the ice sheet comes out, it hits that water. Right. But then it runs into ground again. Right. And that's that part. Right. Where it's kind of over water and kind of hitting the ground that is holding the rest of the ice uh, of, the, of the glacier flow back. Right. What they've been worried about is that stopgap. Right. The cork in the bottle, so to speak. Right. Um, is disintegrating. And they found that the water below that ice sheet because it's over water. Right. The water below in the, well, the Antarctic water there. Right. Is actually a degree or two in places above freezing. And in glacial terms, as this one scientist was explaining to it, that's like kind of basically, you know, lighting a fire underneath the ice sheet. And so they were able to kind of drop this robot into the, uh, you know, through the ice sheet into the water underneath to take all these kind of temperatures. First time they were able to kind of see what was under there. And they were like scared as all heck. Cause they're like, Whoa, 
the temperature is higher than we thought. Um, and the way that this sheet, because this sheet is getting flexible, right? Because it's it's beginning to melt <laughs> and there's cracks appearing in it. And so it's actually wobbling, right, with the tides. And they said what that basically is acting as, acting as a pump to pump this warmer water in and out underneath the glacier, which is furthering, is kind of speeding up the erosion process, the melting process. That breaks, whenever that breaks. They thought it was going to be like another, I don't know, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years out, right? And now they say, well, this this could actually happen a lot sooner than we think, maybe five years, right? Once that happens, that breaks off. That's going to raise sea levels a little bit, right? That that whole chunk at the end there, the cork, right? But that will speed the glacier forward because it's already been warming there. The glacier, the ice sheet behind that cork, right? When that goes into the ocean, we're talking about 6, 10, 15 feet of sea level rise in a very short period of time. Another report comes out this week as well, just yesterday, actually. Um, as the Guardian reported, it says the world on the brink of five disastrous climbing tipping points, tipping points the study finds. What are they? Well, it shows that, oops, sorry. Sorry, I accidentally clicked on the wrong thing. So number one, like I said, you have the, uh, the Western ice sheet. Uh, the West, the Western Antarctic ice sheet that they're concerned about that kind of heading in, right? They're also showing that um, it looks like there may be the collapse of Greenland's ice cap, right? And this is how it says in the garden that eventually produces a huge sea level rise. They're also seeing that we're we're approaching the collapse of the a key current in the North Atlantic. We've talked about this on the show before, you know, the the kind of basically the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico basically flow up the you know up the um the coast of north america and then out into you know towards england and you know iceland and all that kind of stuff and then it dips down right it cools off and then it sinks right and when it sinks right um then it kind of it, it kind of cools off and it keeps this flow going right well as fresh water pours into the ocean Right? As the as the weather gets warmer and the oceans get warmer, this motion slows and the water gets slightly warmer. So it doesn't sink as well. And when it doesn't sink, it doesn't keep that current going fast. Right? They knew this was coming, right? To say if we don't kind of stay below what a one point five degrees um, by what is it, like six years from now? <laughs> or by whatever, twenty fifty. But if we don't get there, we don't make stuff now, uh, we don't kind of, you know, have clear targets or we haven't made the transition now, then, we're, then this is what's going to happen. They also said that, look, there's going to be a uh, an abrupt melting of carbon-rich permafrost, right? Not like a slow melting of the permafrost, but an abrupt one. And when some of that permafrost melts, right, what it does is it releases all the frozen methane below the surface, Right. You ever see those pictures in Siberia where you see these giant craters, right, that have kind of erupted out of the ground because the permafrost has melted? That's what we're talking about. And methane, as we know, is a more dangerous greenhouse gas than carbon. It doesn't stay in the atmosphere as longer. So in that sense, OK, but it increases, you know, um, global warming faster. Right. Um, initially. 
So all that. They have this great chart on the on the sheet, right? So they basically said, you know, they have this range of kind of, um, you know, when are we looking at these um, uh, these collapses, right? So they've adjusted <laughs> the timeline, and so okay, it says, you know, we're at one point one degree of warming, right? Now they originally thought that um, that uh, the Paris Agreement targets. Um, we're going to kind of help us out. Right. And so they have this kind of mapped out in this blue and they thought that would prevent a bunch of this stuff. But now what they're seeing based upon new data and new studies, uh, kind of where we're at, um, we we're already in the zone of the Greenland ice sheet collapse, the West Antarctic ice sheet collapse, the tropical coral reef die off, the northern permafrost abrupt thaw and the, um, the Barents uh, Sea ice loss and the Labrador Sea current collapse. Right. I mean, like. Those things are already in our sights. And so why am I talking about climate change now, right? It's because because of the freaking chaos of the right wing in this country, because of what we've been having to deal with in this country, because of people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. We can't address that. Instead, the evening news is freaking running every day with the blow by blow of what's happening at Mar-a-Lago and the confidential documents with Trump. Is that important? Certainly. But you know what? How about we have, imagine a world in which we have the updates about what's happening to the Trump um, thing at the end of the newscast, not the first half of the newscast. Let's say the first half of the newscast was looking into reporting on what was happening in terms of our climate crisis. Imagine that. That will not happen unless we have a party and and politicians and leaders who are pushing for that conversation, pushing legislation, pushing in their campaigns and pushing it everywhere they get a chance to do. We've seen what happens when social movements Right. In the wake of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. When they get mobilized and push. Because people were in the streets and they were organized and putting all sorts of pressure on politicians, Democrats went from uh, I don't know if we can say the word abortion out loud to overtly championing abortion rights. You had a do nothing Senate under Chuck Schumer, who was more interested in maintaining collegiality than he was of getting rid of the filibuster and actually doing something, getting to the point of actually asking, forcing the senators to vote on enshrining, say, same-sex marriage into law, the protections that currently exist under law. The House passed that bill. Why did they pass it? Well, because those same people that got mobilized because the overturning of Roe v. Wade saw the writing on the wall, read that decision and said, look, this is what's going to happen. Next, we're coming for you. Then we're coming for you. And all of us are suddenly remembering, you know, that little, that that famous, uh, uh, I'm, God, I can't believe it. That, you know, the famous thing, you know, first they came for the communists, but I said nothing because I was not a communist. Then they came for the unionists, but I said nothing because I was not a unionist. Right. And so on. And so then they came for the Jews. And I said nothing because I'm not a Jew. 
right? And then at the end, then they came for me and there was nobody left to say anything, right? And suddenly, like, holy crap, they actually did this. They didn't just say they were going to get rid of uh, Roe v. Wade, overturn Roe v. Wade. They did it. And now Clarence Thomas basically put the stake in the ground and Alito kind of like echoed in his decision. Yeah, now we're going to be looking at uh, same-sex marriage. Now we're going to look at kind of multiracial marriage, right? Now we're going to look at your right to privacy, right? And maybe we'll even think about whether or not you really have a right to vote. Because you know what? It doesn't say that in the Constitution. You have a right to vote. That's where we're headed. And people are like, whoa, whoa, they really did it. They mean it, actually. They're not just saying it. And President Biden went from kind of like, oh, Republicans are my friend, to giving a speech basically saying, like, the MAGA Republicans have to be stopped. They've lost control of the party. Like, you got to get Democrat, you know, and not giving the kind of like, yes, he still had to kind of give his little, like, you know, his little crumbs over to some of his Republican friends. But there's a reason why Fox News and the right and the Republicans are freaking out that Joe Biden called them out as a party, not just as Trump, but as a party, because they know it's true. This is where I've been really hard on Nancy Pelosi saying, like, Nancy Pelosi, no. Every time she comes out and says, we need a strong Republican Party, and my response to that is, we already have one. It is a neo-Confederate, white supremacist, Christian nationalist party. And they are winning. How do we know we're winning? They got the Supreme Court justices on to overturn Roe v. Wade, which they said that they were going to do all these years. We have extremists that are taking over Secretary of State's job, in Arizona, for example. We have even stricter legislation being passed state by state by state restricting women's access to the right of abortion in states where it was legal. That's got to stop. South Carolina just approved, after a big fight, just approved more abortion restrictions. This is freaking serious. You know what I'm saying? And I know, I know, I know, I get it. We had to spend yesterday. We had to do yesterday. We had to kind of like devote our coverage to the death of Queen Elizabeth. God save the queen. I made it, man. (laughs) Sorry, it's been appropriate. But, and I know, I mean, she's a historical figure and all this kind of stuff. The longest reigning monarch and, you know, we're celebrating monarchs. I know I get it. Um, longest reading monarch in English history, all that other kind of stuff, right? So you're going to expect that from the mainstream media, right? Okay, I'll give you that one. Did I watch it? No. Did I read some articles about it? Sure. Right? Whatever. But at the same time, that news is breaking, right? And the anniversary of uh, Princess Diana's, um, you know, death slash, you know, con- encourage killing, if you will. In the wake of all that, and that's kind of like, you know, our desire to get into the drama of the freaking royal family. Reports are coming out all week about the climate disaster that is looming. Reports are coming out day after day about more abortion restrictions being passed in states across this country. So that's why. 
So I get hard on Josh Shapiro. I get hard on kind of uh, Nancy Pelosi. I'm not doing it because I'm just trying to be a downer about Democrats. It's like I freaking want the Democrats to win. And I want a more progressive Democratic Party. I would love it if we got to a point down the road where we build strong enough kind of a strong enough caucus of the Democratic Party, right? That that's the caucus that either rules the party or starts a party. And watch the the corporate Democrats sail down the river. Because look, now's the time. Now's the time to build up that progressive base and to start building. And it's not going to happen overnight. We start building now. And there we have it. Anyways, I went longer than I was going to go today. Um, I'm already kind of like, I'm going to have to apologize to somebody being late for my first little uh, meetup today. It was great. Um, but it is. But look, everybody, I'm uh, I'm psyched that kind of we're back. Um, I've been, uh, I, I think I'm back into a regular, uh, somewhat of a, 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 a consistent flow at this point. Let's, fingers crossed. Um I wish everybody um, kind of all the best in this kind of back to school season in this uh, moving into fall season in the, uh, you know, where everything, the rubber hits the road in the run up to the election, all that stuff. Um, I just, you know, I recognize the freaking amazing work people are doing out there, the incredible organizing that is going on every single day um, and people that, you know, are, you know, just doing the work of democracy in ways that, you know, again, I, I don't think I've ever really seen. So um, kudos to all you folks out there. Anyways, this is Ken Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, I will be back on Monday. I think we're going to do an open show on Monday, although I got a couple teasers out there, so we might get a last-minute announcement for a guest. Um, but um, just want to hear what is going on uh, kind of in air, kind of around you. Uh, want to hear what is happening in your district. I would love it if people were tuning in and uh, we're getting report backs of what's happening um, in their neck of the woods. Um, that'd be great. Um, we always have an option. If you remember early on in the show, when we were doing the Out to Coop Live, we did a, uh, we had a call-in segment. And then it, uh, originally we got some call. People, some people would call in. But uh, that became, we get fewer and fewer callers um, for there. And, but we got a really lively chat going. So I just kind of said, okay, we know we'll stick with the chat. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would, I would, you know, welcome folks for, uh, to call in for support. I'll tell you how to do that on Monday. Um, or just to kind of, kind of put stuff in the chat and we can read it out and take a look at it. Um, ahead of Monday's show, if you've got kind of ideas or thoughts or articles that are out there, um, let me know what's going on. Um, I, I know we've got some other kinds of struggles brewing. Um, we're going to be focusing on some labor issues in the uh, months going forward, in part because ABSCUF, my union, has uh, started, you know, it's kind of did the first steps toward negotiation of our first contract. Uh, we got an update from our statewide president um, who uh, basically laid, down, laid it down that this is going to be a fight. Um, that it is going to be a tough negotiations um, for the state system uh, for uh, ABSCUF and the state system of higher education. Um, it does, you know, at this point, <clears throat> um, we, you know, it, yeah, we'll see. Okay, well, more on that. Um, also, labor contracts are coming up um, in school districts, um, kind of around the area and around the state. Um, there's uh, we've got some strikes that are happening, um, healthcare strikes, uh, kind of out in the Pittsburgh area. Um, and around the state. So lots of happening on the labor fronts. So we're going to be digging into that too as well. 
and um, and getting us ready to uh, kind of get out the vote and um, when it comes to November. So anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Thank you all for tuning in and for your support. Uh, remember, you can help support this show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Um, oh, feels good to be back. Feels good to be back. Uh, this feels like normal to me. Uh, normal as they're going to get it. So anyways, have a good weekend, everybody, and we'll see you all on Monday. See ya!